Um, I want you guys to know that over the next few Sundays, we're going to be preaching on our values. Um, we are, uh, what are we, like six weeks in now, I think, uh, as a church that's been meeting on Sundays. And uh, we've come in our preaching schedule to three weeks of what we value the most. And, and this week, um, the title of this message is called Rooted and the Gospel. And so if you found your place to Philippians chapter 3, stand with me as we honor God's word and read. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In verse 12, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that which, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can be seated. Kiddos, your, um, your key verse is found on your coloring page right there. If you guys want to write that in on your, on your sheet, the key verse is found there on your coloring page, and it'll be there, verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So as I said, the next few Sundays, we're going to be preaching on our values, and we have to ask this question, what do we value as a church? You know, what's important to us as a church? What we value the most as a church at Imago Dei, what we value the most is is Christ and, and and who he has revealed himself to be revealed in the gospel. The gospel is the most valuable to us as a church, and it's important for us to see um, us as a congregation shaped and molded by the gospel of Jesus Christ in all areas of our life. And furthermore, we value the work that God has also called us into, which is the ministry of the gospel, to share and proclaim the gospel, to go and make disciples through um, the preaching of the gospel. See, the gospel is the utmost importance to Imago Dei Church. And on Imago Day, we are gospel-centered. And so what does gospel-centered mean? The gospel is, well, the good news of Jesus Christ. And simply in short, the gospel is, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down from heaven, was born of a, of a virgin. You know, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross at the hands of sinners to appease the wrath of God. He resurrected after three days. He ascended to heaven, uh, where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will return for his church. That's the gospel. At Imago Dei, we express how valuable the gospel is to us in three major ways. Number one, we're rooted in the gospel. Number two, we're growing in the gospel into the image of Christ. 
And number three, we're producing fruit of the gospel in our daily lives, wherever we live, work, or play. And today, our focus will be on the first of these values that I've listed. We're rooted in the gospel. To be rooted in the gospel is to, number one, our first point, count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. In these few verses, we see, let's read these few verses again here. Sorry, I I misplaced where I was going. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ." And in these few verses, we see Paul giving a very impressive pedigree. We see him giving a very impressive resume that that is something that he could boast about if he wanted to. You know, he was circumcised on the correct day. A true Jew from the nation of Israel, of one of the most elite tribes uh, known as Benjamin. Along with Judah, they stayed loyal to the Davidic dynasty and they didn't shift as the northern kingdom did at that time. Um, So they created the southern kingdom. Uh, kingdom, the Benjamin and Judah. Uh, and so that's why he's saying, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a loyal Israelite. You know, Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was born to Hebrew parents, remaining loyal to the Hebrew traditions, even in a pagan world and the pagan cities where he lived in Rome. He was a Pharisee of the most elite and most strict sect of Judaism. He was taught by Gamaliel, uh, a renowned teacher of the law who was very famous. I mean, Paul was, I guess, in essence, the cat's pajamas, right? He was a poster child for Judaism. He exuded zeal uh, for the Jewish faith, meaning that, you know, he, he loved the faith so much that he hated anything that would come against it. He loved the Jewish faith so much that he was willing to even persecute the church. And we see in the book of Acts that Paul approved of the stoning of Stephen. You know, he was given arrest warrants for those early Christians as he went on his way to Damascus uh, to go and arrest them. He went seeking to stop the spread of Christianity by whatever means possible. And Paul continues to say that he was blameless in keeping the law. We know this to only be outwardly because inside Paul's heart at that time, he had a cold, rock-solid heart and he was lost and a dead sinner. But here in verse 7 we see a beautiful turn in Paul's language. But whatever things were gained to me, that long list, that pedigree, that long resume, that thing he could boast about, whatever these things, or he says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Gain and loss. These words are accounting terms. They're, Gain meaning profit, obviously, and and loss meaning losses. And he uses these terms to describe a transaction that's taken place. See, he's discovered that in a long line of religious prophets, uh, that long line of religious prophets that he had is actually a long line of losses that don't add up to anything. In fact, this religious pedigree of Paul's will only have gained him hell if God hadn't shown him that he was putting stock in all the wrong areas. See, Paul says that those things that were gained to me, 
You know, my circumcision, all the ceremonial things that I've performed, all the good works that I've done, all the the amazing reputation that I had, the great teacher Gamaliel that I had, my nationality, my lineage, all of that, all these things, I've moved into the lost category for the sake of Christ. And he's not done in verse 8. More than that, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Everything that he's done, his entire reputation, his entire life, everything that he's done, everything that he has built is nothing but rubbish, dung, trash, uh, you know, garbage in comparison to knowing Christ as Lord. He says that he suffered the loss of all things for Jesus. He said he's willing to do that because the value of knowing Christ as Lord is far more supreme. It's far more valuable. It exceeds in riches more than anything else on this earth. The value of truly knowing Christ is gaining absolutely everything. Let's look at Paul's situation for a moment. He's under house arrest. He's awaiting trial for his faith, persecuted for preaching the gospel. He's been on a long journey at sea. He's been snake bit. He's been hungry. He's been put to the test to get to this point to where he is at right now under house arrest in Rome. A once prominent Jewish man, a Pharisee of Pharisees, someone who had everything he ever wanted was now a prisoner for what he believed. He was now suffering. He was now belittled. He was now beaten In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of Judaism, he was nothing. Yet despite all of his suffering, Paul being deeply rooted in the gospel says that it's great gain to suffer loss for Christ. Take whatever you want from me. Do whatever you want from me. Just give me Jesus is Paul's mantra. And in order for us individually as Christians to say that we're rooted in the gospel, we must first believe the gospel. It's step number one. We can't, we can't be rooted in something that we don't believe in. We have to come to believe that God's way is better. We have to come to believe that everything we have ever done to try and be right with God in our own power is, is lost for the sake of knowing Christ as Lord. We have to come to believe that no matter what it is that we may endure as Christians on this earth, it's all great gain for the sake of knowing Christ. The persecution for the sake of knowing Christ is great gain. The ailments for the sake of knowing Christ is great gain. The opposition for the sake of knowing Christ is great gain. The cancer for the sake of knowing Christ is great gain. The attacks from the evil one for the sake of knowing Christ is great gain. Giving up everything that we have ever known for the lo- and loved for the sake of knowing Christ as Lord is immensely more valuable than anything we could ever ask for. It's finding a treasure in a field and with joy selling everything that we have to buy the field. It's like finding a pearl of great value and selling everything that we own just to buy that one pearl. It's a great gain. It's worth losing everything for it. The surpassing value of knowing Christ as Lord is worth more than anything we own. It's worth more than anything we've ever done. It's worth it to lose everything for the sake 
of knowing him. To be rooted in the gospel is to treasure Christ above everything else. It's to count everything as lost for the sake of knowing him as Lord. To be rooted in the gospel, our second point, is also to trust Christ to deliver us home. Let's pick up at verse 8 there in order to follow Paul's flow of thought consistently. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To be rooted in the gospel is trusting Christ to deliver us home. So Paul's goal for counting all things as rubbish is so that he may be found in Christ. That's the most important thing to him, is to be found in Christ. Nothing else matters. In order to be found in Christ, we must obtain a particular righteousness that we cannot produce on our own. And a few weeks ago, we preached a message on Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. And you'll remember correctly the righteousness of God that Paul was referring to. And it was a righteousness that God has provided in Christ through faith, not a righteousness that we are able to produce, but his righteousness. And the same is true here. In fact, see, Paul spells this righteousness very, very clearly. The righteousness not of his own derived from the law is what he says. Rather, it's a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith in Christ. It is this righteousness, the perfect sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ that saves us. This righteousness is imparted to us the moment that we believe in the gospel. This righteousness is the righteousness that guarantees our passage home. Paul not only wants to be found in Christ, which is of utmost importance to him, he also wants to know Christ. And not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. Not just a a shallow knowledge, but a deeper, more intimate knowledge, a true knowledge of Christ. See, being rooted in the gospel, Paul is desiring to know more about Christ and grow closer to him. He desires to experience firsthand the mighty power of Jesus displayed in his resurrection. He wants to know Christ more completely, more intimately, growing in grace every single day. See, Paul isn't just wanting a free ride to heaven No, being rooted in the gospel, Paul longs to be in fellowship, to be in partnership with the sufferings of Jesus. He recognizes that he is being conformed to the death, into the death of Christ. That's what the scriptures say. As he lays down his life for the sake of the gospel, he's being conformed into the death of Christ. As he lays down his life for the sake of the gospel, to win as many as he can to the Lord and sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And and Jesus is also in that that 
in that way able to relate and comfort Paul in his times of sufferings. Because Jesus was tempted on all levels as he was tempted. He went through all those things and suffered as well. So he's able to relate and comfort and relieve him in those times. And and Jesus is pleased with the sacrificial uh, service of Paul who's willing to die to see sinners redeemed to the Father through their faith in Jesus, who died for their sins. Paul, a man rooted in the gospel, lived every day to live and look like Jesus wherever he was planted. And all of this in mind, to be found in Jesus through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, being in partnership with the sufferings and and being conformed into his death, With all of this in mind, Paul is doing all of this. Paul is finding joy in all of this. Paul is exercising faith in verse 11, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul realized that being rooted in the gospel means to trust Christ to deliver us home. See, Paul's target is is that he may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul is willing to die for Jesus. Therefore, he trusts Christ alone for salvation and his faith is made evident in his obedience. He counts all things as loss. I like the way the ESV puts it. He says, uh, instead of saying in order that, in verse 11, it says, by any means possible. So however God wills to bring it to pass, Paul longs for the fulfillment of his salvation when he'll see Jesus face to face. I hope and I pray as Christians, it's all of us as well longing for our salvation, the day that we'll see Christ face to face. In order that his body will rise and that he'll receive a glorified body when Christ comes to rapture the church by any means necessary, he wants to attain the resurrection from the dead. A glorified body will receive, which is intended to withstand eternity in the presence of the Almighty God, a body without sin, a body without defect, a glorified body, a body to worship Jesus in heaven for 10,000 years and forevermore. This is what's fixed on the forefront of Paul's mind. This is what he hopes for. This is the hope that he has. This is what he knows is true, is that Jesus will hold him fast and bring him home and one day raise his dead body and give him a glorified body that'll live for eternity in the presence of our Savior. To be rooted in the gospel is to trust Christ to deliver us home. It is to trust in the faith and the righteousness that God provided in his Son. It is to trust no matter the sufferings that we're going through, Christ will lead us home. It's to trust that that Christ will persevere us to the end so we live a life conforming to his death for the sake of seeing sinners come to faith and being saved. To be rooted in the gospel is to trust that one day, however God brings it to pass, when we die, we will be in the presence of Jesus instantly. See, death to a Christian is falling asleep here on this earth and waking up in heaven. Death isn't a bad thing. It's to trust that Christ will return for his bride and resurrect the dead, giving them an eternal body that never grows old. Being rooted in the gospel is to trust in the mighty power of Christ to bring us home. And to be rooted in the gospel, our third point is to pursue Christ's likeness. Let's read verse 12 to 14. 
Not that I have attained, already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, in these verses, Paul gives us an analogy of a runner to illustrate the growth of a Christian. And we think about maybe a relay race, for instance. There's usually about four runners in a relay race, correct? And as they're running, that runner in front of them, or the runner behind them, passes the baton to the runner in front of them. The runner in front of them who's running merely doesn't hardly even look behind them, but just reaches out their hand as they continue to press on forward and they receive that baton and they finish the race. You think of a sprinter. I don't care what the race is. Maybe it's a 40-yard dash or maybe it's a one-mile run or, or a marathon, whatever it is. None of these athletes are concerned about what's behind them. They're all focused on getting to the finish line. That's all that the runner's mind is on, is finishing the race, finishing well, abiding by the rules, running as hard as they can to obtain the prize, to cross the finish line. That's it. They're not concerned about anything else, anything that they left behind them. It'll only slow them down. In the same way, we as Christians are in a race. And not that we're striving to beat one another, not that we're, we're attempting to outdo anybody, but we're running towards the finish line with our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is our prize. The ultimate purpose that Jesus has in mind in choosing us is to conform us into his image. And I won't go too far into detail on that because we're going to talk more about that next week. But that's what Jesus wants from us, is to be sanctified, to be set apart from sin from the world and from our old ways. And after we're saved, the process of pruning begins. See, Jesus begins to cut away branches and shoots in our lives that steal nutrients, that block out the sun, that hinder us from producing uh, the fruit that he intends for us to produce. He begins to cut things away from our life. And sometimes they hurt really bad. And sometimes they're people and sometimes they're places. And sometimes it could even be family members or sometimes it could be a job or a situation that you're in. But he begins to prune things throughout your life that rob the nutrients to keep you from producing the fruit that he's intended us to produce. We see that in John 15. He begins to set us apart, to sanctify us, to conform us into his image. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this perfection, not that I have already obtained the resurrection from the dead, but my joy won't be made complete until I do. John MacArthur says that there's a sense of dissatisfaction that we have as Christians pursuing Christ-likeness. We won't be fully satisfied until we obtain the perfect. There's a level of holy dissatisfaction that we feel as Christians not fully satisfied until we get to heaven, until we see Jesus face to face. So not that he's already obtained this perfection, but he presses on with aggressive and energetic action, like a runner sprinting down the track. I want you to think about a runner, for instance, and I'll try to describe him. The runner, they, they, they run on the balls of their feet. They dig the balls of their feet into the track and they explode forward with every step. I want you to think about this. Their arms jolting forward rapidly to increase the momentum that they have. Breathing strategically, long strides as their calves and their quads explode. Digging, 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 pushing, 
pushing, pushing, pressing on, legs hurting, legs burning, lungs burning, continuing to dig deeper and continuing to press on towards the prize and towards the finish line. That's what the runner does. And the runner's not worried about what he left at the starting line. He's concerned with finishing the race, with laying it all on the line, pushing as hard as they can, running his course. He's concerned with pressing on towards the prize. This text isn't saying, as he says, you know, I forget about what's behind me. The text isn't saying that we completely wipe our memories of anything and everything that we've ever done in the past. That's proven because earlier in the text, we see that Paul brought up, uh, you know, a list that he could boast about if he wanted to. So he's not saying like, hey, we completely wipe our minds clean of this stuff. We don't, we're unable to remember it all the more. That's not true because Paul, Paul quoted some things there. The text is saying... That our focus isn't on the past, that it's on the goal, that it's on the prize of the upward call of God. We're not worried about those things that are behind us. We're focusing on what's in front of us. As, as Christians, it, it isn't that we don't remember where we came from, but we run as energetically and aggressively as we can towards Christ's likeness. Legs burning, lungs hurting, Pushing, pushing, digging, digging, going deeper. As Christians, it, we forget all about the years that we spent trying to be good enough. We forget all about the years we spent attempting to merit our own salvation. We forget about all the accolades and the well-dones and the attaboys that we've achieved in our ministry and our heavenly race so far. Our focus isn't on all the times that we didn't measure up to some, uh, some human standard that we were told to live by. Our focus isn't on the years that we spent in addiction. Our focus isn't on the struggles that we have with our mental health. Our focus isn't on any kind of inabilities that we have because we live in a fallen world. Our focus isn't on our struggles with identity. Our focus isn't on our sins. Our focus isn't on all the times that we've stinking failed and dropped the ball and didn't measure up. It didn't do well enough. It's not where our focus lies. See, focusing on the past is a distraction of the flesh. It's a distraction of the devil intended to keep us from striving towards the present. And if you're a Christian, Jesus has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Holding them behind his back, he remembers them no more. He's laid a hold of us. He has made us his own. We're forgiven, we're redeemed. We're saved by His grace. There is no longer a need for us to dwell in the past. There's no need for us to have our heads down, kicking ourselves for what we could have done and did better. See, God's called us upwards in Christ Jesus. There's no need to stress about what's behind us, only to be rooted in the gospel and pursuing Christ in all of His glory. Yes, we may experience some dissatisfaction in this race when we're struggling to get better, but allow that dissatisfaction to drive you as it drives an athlete to train. When an athlete's not running his race as fast as he used to run it, that dissatisfaction pushes him or her to be disciplined, to train harder, to press on towards the prize. They're motivated. So allow that same kind of dissatisfaction that we would have as Christians when we're not where we think we should be. When we look at the mirror 
of Christ's likeness. And we're just satisfied by our own sin, our own ugliness, our own inabilities. Allow that dissatisfaction to help us to be disciplined, to train, to press on towards the prize. So what a wonderful analogy that Paul had showed us there, showing us that a Christian rooted in the gospel pursues Christ's likeness. And I pray that this may be true of each and every single one of us, that we forget about what's behind us and we press on towards heaven with Jesus in our eyes. At Imago Day, we value being rooted in the gospel. From the example that Paul, uh, for the example of, of Paul, sorry about that. We, at Imago Day, we value being rooted in the gospel. From the example from Paul that we've seen here in Philippians, we know that being rooted in the gospel means counting all, everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ, trusting Christ to deliver us home, and number three, producing Christ's likeness. We value being rooted in the gospel because the gospel in itself, the good news of Jesus Christ, is more valuable than anything in the universe. It's the power to save. It's worth losing everything for the sake of knowing Christ as Lord. The gospel of Jesus, that he came, died in our place, rose again after three days, and that he's coming back, is the very message that we believe that has given us a home in heaven. See, the power of Jesus Christ is put on display in his ability to deliver us home to a place that he's prepared for us, to a mansion with many rooms, to eternity gathered together with all the saints from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, to a home with golden streets where there's no sin, no pain, no heartache. But above all else, the only thing that matters, what makes our eternal home heaven, is that Jesus is there. The gospel causes us to have our hope fixed on heaven, forgetting about the things behind us and pursuing Christ's likeness, pursuing the prize of the upward call of God. That's what matters most. Being rooted in the gospel is being gospel-centered. It's elevating Jesus above anything and everything else. You see, the gospel is not about us. It's all about Christ. The good news is that what could not be done has been done. Christ has made a way to restore what has been broken. Christ has made a way to make all things new. Jesus has done the impossible, and he's calling us to be rooted in what he says, or in what he has done, who he is, and what he is doing. Joanna, if you want to get your guitar, you can come up. And As I said before, heaven without Jesus is no heaven at all. And I would like to share with you guys, actually, a... Uh, a song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to read these words. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a terrible singer. Uh, I'm just going to read it. But I want to kind of share with you guys as Joanna plays softly uh, the lyrics to this song that this worship minister, my old worship minister in Missouri wrote. This, the title of the song is called I Bowed My Knees and Cried Holy. And if you could hear Caleb sing this song, man, it's, it's so amazing and it's so powerful. And the lyrics of this song go, a portion of it say, I dreamed of a city called glory, and it was so bright and so fair. And when I entered the grates, I cried, holy. All the angels, they met me there. And then they carried me from mansion to mansion, and all the sights I saw. That's when I said, I want to see Jesus, for he's the one who died for all. Then I bowed on my knees and cried, holy, holy, holy. I clapped my hands and sang glory, glory to the Son of God. 
Then as I entered the gates of the city, all my loved ones, they knew me well. They took me down the streets of heaven and all the saints, they were too many to tell. That's when I saw Abraham, saw Jacob and Isaac. I talked with Mark and I sat down with Timothy. But I said, Timothy, I want to see Jesus for he's the one who died for me. Then I bowed on my knees and cried, holy, holy, holy. I clapped my hands and sang glory, glory to the son of God. Heaven without Jesus is no heaven at all. So we fix our eyes on Jesus and what he's done, who he is. We center our lives, our ministry, our churches on Jesus as he's revealed himself in the gospel. So we're a church that's not going to bend or bow to pragmatic strategies of uh, church growth. We're a church that will exalt Jesus in our singing, in our praying, in our preaching, in our eating, in our living, because we're a church centered on the gospel. We're a people rooted in the gospel. We're a people living to exalt the king. We're a church crying out, I want to see Jesus.